This right. is an eight iron, and it's a dead shank. Wow. Way right. Oh, Takes a hop off the path. You gotta be kidding me. Very tough pitch shot right here. You gotta hit it into the hill. One hop up and bite, and it's in. Kind of like that. I would like to welcome to the Sub-70 Podcast, Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg. Uh, Andy, thank you uh, so much uh, to spend some time with us this evening. I've been really looking forward to uh, talking to you a bunch of, uh, about a bunch of topics in golf, so it should be an interesting conversation. Jason, so, uh, so happy to be on. Thanks for inviting me on your podcast. No worries. Um, let's just jump right into it. Like, What, what two or three storylines so far in 2020 – have you found uh, most interesting, you know, kind of from the game of golf? Uh, I think I'd have to kick off with, I think this PGL, the Premier Golf League, is really interesting. Obviously, anytime you've got something that could come turn the professional game on its head, that's a uh, very intriguing storyline. I, You know, I think it's one of those stories where we're going to see a lot of smoke like we're seeing now where you just have these reports and these rumors come out and then it's either going to fizzle out where, you know, the PGA Tour, European Tour are still the two big places for guys to play or, you know, a couple of big names are going to commit and a lot of stuff is going to happen really quickly. So I'd say that one is one that sticks out uh, to me. And then um, I, I think the Patrick Reed thing is – whether it, it's just the the whole handling of the the Patrick Reed incident and the way the tour has kind of tried to sweep it under the rug and um, and kind of keep it quiet is is one that sticks out just from the standpoint of everybody saw what they saw and uh, and that's been that's been a something that's going to stick with Patrick Reed for for a long time but obviously played great in Mexico um and uh it's been it's been that's been an interesting storyline I think as well Let, let's jump into the Reed thing did what do you sort of make of it because I'm, I'm just shocked that he I am shocked and I'm not shocked that he continues to play that good with that kind of adversity or maybe he thrives off and I mean I know you're following a lot of the events and you're out there like what do you hear of how he can compartmentalize it and still play great golf with you know, the, the fire incoming essentially that he's taken kind of from the golf world and some people support him and some people are against it. It's, it's kind of crazy yet. He keeps, you know, he keeps moving up the world ranking. Yeah. I, you know, some people play or do their best work in, in a state of chaos. And I imagine, I think there's something with him psychologically that it helps him when everybody's against him. You know, we see that in, in sports, some, some players thrive on on adverse situations, but you know from from the standpoint of what the whole situation. I mean, the guy. It's just a it's an alarming thing when when a governing body like the PGA Tour does so little to someone who acts so egregiously. In my opinion, this is just my opinion here. But um, you know, I don't think. I mean. The, the thing that it brings to mind, because like, this is immediately what you think after he wins, is like, well, what happened when the cameras weren't around? Like, did it, It's just the thing that's going to follow him forever. Like, after, right after he did the thing in the hero with the bunker, 
immediately I was thinking about, I wonder if he did this at all at Augusta when he won the Masters. And and that's where you, and obviously with what Peter Costa said on the No Laying Up uh, podcast with the interview where he said he'd seen him do it, you know, four or five times. And, and that to me is, it's just a, um, you wonder how much, how many times he's done it. And that's, that's what I kind of gather from it. Yeah, the, the Costa stuff was pretty explosive, right? To hear, you know, somebody of his level kind of say, yeah, I've seen it multiple times. It's not my job to, to say anything. I'm there, you know, to cover the golf, but, you know, I've seen a lie that you couldn't really, you know, hardly get a wedge on to hitting a five wood or a three wood out of. So I think for him to say that and, and saying it didn't happen once, it, it, I think it really broadened the story out of, wow, this might not be a one time incident, right? And I think it deepened the story of, of, you know, kind of what's going on here with him. And I always think too, like, what's this costing him in off the golf course money? I mean, this has to be, this isn't good when you're trying to probably, you know, he could be making millions and millions, maybe he still is, but boy, I think it would be hard for corporate America to want to sign on to that one and, and, and do, you know, five corporate outings a year for XYZ Corporation and have people out there. I mean, that's the part too that I always wonder, like, what's he thinking? You know, he obviously has the talent. He's tough. He, you know, he plays well under pressure, but it's a, I don't remember any other player ever going through like this, anything like this in recent times, unless you've got somebody I can't think of. It's a strange one, that's for sure. Yeah, I I think it, nothing ever was caught so blatantly, you know, and I think that's the thing. And I, I, I agree with you with the sponsorship thing. I, I don't think we're going to see big finance run to embrace uh, no. Patrick Reed with a KPMG or a, uh, a uh, Morgan Stanley deal anytime soon. So, I mean, he does have the Nike thing, and I, I think he's – isn't he equipment agnostic? Yes. Or he, he doesn't have a deal. So it, it's uh, – but that – I. I actually, I think Reed is a big, I think he would be one that would jump at that PGL thing, you know? I, for, it, just, just a hunch on my person, this is just my, my personal hunch that Patrick Reed would be one of the biggest, uh, proponents of that PGL because I think he probably feels like he's underpaid for his success on the golf course. PGL, you know, we're a great segment into that. It's an interesting topic. I, I I think you would have to get what Rory, Tiger, Phil. I mean, you'd have to get some real players to say we're in. And then my question is, even though they could make more money, and, and there's a really good argument, like listen to Hank Haney and saying they really are underpaid compared to other professional sports around the world for being stars. But is the legacy then something they're not going to want to tarnish? Meaning PGA Tour wins will be looked upon 50 years later you know, is more prestigious than a PGL win. If it makes it, doesn't make it. So I think there'd be a lot for the players to risk from where their careers are at in history. But I guess there's probably a certain price tag that maybe can make it happen. I mean, what do you what do you think the odds are of this thing actually come to fruition? And how many of those guys would it take to make this really go? Or how many of the big names would you have to get? I think they. I think it comes down like Tiger is going to be the guy that matters, right? At the end of the day, I think that's the one that matters the most. And um, I think when you think about the legacy standpoint, if if Tiger, if if you've got the top forty eight guys, PGA Tour wins don't matter anymore. You know, the PGL wins are going to matter. And I think there's the other aspect of that team ownership that is is probably intriguing to the really big names, where 
you know, Tiger has ownership in a team, a franchise, essentially. And uh, if you look at, like, Premier League soccer, those are the most highly paid uh, athletes in the entire world, you know, exorbitant contracts. And I think think from a standpoint of, obviously, they know what they have in the PGA Tour, and that's safe, right? Um, And I think that's where the, the PGA Tour's, you know, their big draw is that, hey, we're here, we've been here, we've gotten you here, stick with us. But at the at the end of the day, you look at the veteran minimum contract in the NBA, it's, I don't know, $600,000 and, and the, you know, and LeBron James is making $40 million, you know, and you look at the PGA Tour as you have a great year on the course on the PGA Tour, you make, you know, let's just say you make $20 million. And in number 125 is making $1 million. It's It's just, you know, it's a little out of proportion there. And in, and that requires you to have a historically great year, you know, to get that $25 million. It's not, you know, these, uh, the superstars, the reality is, is that Tiger Woods over the course of his career is the most underpaid athlete maybe ever. It's hard to argue that. I think that's a true statement. For, can, I mean, even the money he's just brought to all the other players who are finishing 14th on the money list is staggering. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like if if you went to per like a purse, like what would the purse be if Tiger never came? You know, it'd be maybe five million, six million. Well, look so at the, look at the Champions Tour. How that purse was was the same when I'm 47 years old and I was 25. They were winning the same amount of money on a you know weekly basis with a victory. You know, 180 thousand dollar check. So. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a there's a tour that hasn't had a big kick in where there's corporate money following it, and it hasn't changed much. And look what happened to the PGA Tour. Right, there's a perfect mm-hmm. example. Yeah, and I think that's where the PGL, their big sell, is is that like the idea of you get to see the big names play every time you know you turn on the TV for the PGL. Like you you know who you're going to get to watch, which is the big sell. Um, obviously. It, you the from a competitive standpoint, cuts are great. You know, you have these big fields and you cut them, and if you, you're not playing the weekend, if you don't play well, right? But for the fans' sake, the idea, like if you look at uh, what happened in at the Honda this last week, a, a, just a casual fan who buys tickets for Saturday works all week, can't wait to go to the Honda Classic on Saturday, and you know the two biggest names, Ricky Fowler and Brooks Kepka, miss the cut. You know, that's that's a shitty fan experience. Yeah, and I think, yeah, exactly, right? You might have a, somebody who really wants to go see one of those two play, and, and I don't know how fair it is to the athlete either, right? I mean, they net, you know, you're paying for a caddy. you got to pay an entry fee. Is it really fair Ricky Fowler net lose? I mean, I know we can afford it, but in principle, is it fair he net loses money? You know, does the pro-am, does all the stuff? I, I don't know. I think there's some strong arguments for the PGL stuff of, of what would make sense from a fan experience and in you know, easier for those top players, you know, to be to be paid like another elite athlete from another sport. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I guess it'll come to fruition or not. What in the next couple, two or three months, I would have to imagine. Right? It's either going to happen or it's not. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's what we're going to see. It's it's going to be slow with this kind of what we're seeing now until something's going to happen. It's either going to fizzle out or it's going to everything's going to happen really quickly. And uh, I, I think 
it's important to remember with the, the tour being a member member run organization, member driven organization, where you know they're looking out th- for one through you know two hundred on the PGA tour, is that as I think I've thought about this a lot. When you look at sports, right, the superstars become more and more important the less and less players that are on the field, right? So on football, in football, you know, you could win a championship without like a, you know, bona fide. Superstars don't, you know, obviously quarterbacks matter a ton, right? But superstars matter far less than in basketball, where if you don't have one of the five best players in the game of basketball, you're not going to win. Because, yeah. you know, that, that, that roster size just gets smaller and the players on the court. In individual sports, you know, superstars are the only thing that matter. Right. And with the PGA Tour, how many superstars are there? Like seven, eight, ten, maybe? You could probably pick ten, right? That you would say there's a legitimate, yeah, legitimate superstar, huge fan draw, game changer when they, when they play in that tournament. So you, you, there are a lot of events conducted on the PGA Tour without a superstar. And, and that's the things I would start to think about if I was the PGA Tour trying to, you know, fight against the PGL is like, okay, how can we do something that that rewards our superstars more? What do, you, what do you think with the TV coverage, especially from CBS, with the changes they made and how golf is covered, just sort of from 5,000 feet, kind of from all the networks, what do you like, what do you don't like, and do you, do you think the criticism that's been kind of coming towards uh, the way golf is covered is, is a fair criticism, or do you think that overall they do a pretty good job? I think golf is obviously the hardest sport because there's no central focus, right? Everywhere else has a field and a ball, one ball in play. The PGA Tour in golf, you've got 140 players across 18 holes, or you don't have 140 players, but say 90 players across 18 holes at a given time. And that's that makes it just very challenging, right? And it's just very simplistic. Like, you have to have cameras everywhere. They, I don't think they do a good job right now in terms of where what it could be. I think, you know, it, there's a lot of room for improvement. But at the same time, like, until you're in this situation, somebody might look at what I do from my, my job and they say, hey, you should do this, 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 this. It would, it would make your website so much better. And it's like, well, yeah, I know that, but it's kind of hard to get there, right? until you're dealing with all the constraints. And obviously, you know, to make money, they have to sell advertisements. Like that is a, you know, nobody's telecasting golf to lose money, right? So you, the commercials are a necessary evil to the golf. But I think where they could really change is the what what they show, how they show it. Um, I think showing more approach shots would be great you know, less, less tap and putts, but at the same time, it's, it's just really, it's a very difficult sport to, to broadcast. Uh, I think it's really easy to pick on coverage. I think that's about the lowest hanging fruit, uh, in, in, in a spot of where you could, you know, criticize and, and, and I think there's a, it, I think it, until you broadcast golf or, or have been there and I haven't, it's hard to like really be that critical all the time, right? I just wonder if some characters like a uh, Ben Wright from back in the day. I mean, I thought I liked McCord's perspective. Um, 
you know, he was a little off the wall. I wondered, I often wonder at times, is it, is the PGA Tour trying to also influence getting rah-rah guys in there who do have a tendency not to criticize a bad shot? And I, I don't know if the, if the coverage would be a little more interesting with, and on, you know, would a Pat Perez be funny? Well, not funny or insightful, I should say, you know, quick comments, call it like he sees it. I mean, do they need, would they need a little bit more of that or, some guys might be a little rougher around the edges or just call it like they see it, you know, personality-wise. I know the tour probably wouldn't like that, but, boy, I think it would be interesting from a, you know, from a coverage standpoint if they let a guy kind of loose a little bit on in one of the tower holes or something like that. I definitely agree with that. I think the changes they made, uh, bringing in Davis Love, that was really safe. You know, he's he's never going to say anything that ro- rocks the boat, right? And they got rid of two guys that, you know, very clear with Costas. Costas had opinions. He just wasn't giving us opinions. And I think that's the thing is that I, I think with the broadcast partners, people don't understand how much the PGA Tour leans on them, you know, and how much pressure is applied there um, from a standpoint of, like, as Costas alluded to on that No Laying Up podcast, mentioning FedEx Cup points. Like, nobody likes FedEx Cup updates, especially when, you you know, it's it's the safe way and you know, I guess the Safeway is not the first event anymore, but it's the first event after the after the end of the FedEx Cup, and we're getting FedEx Cup updates. You know, projected updates. You know, like, two weeks into the gonna, new- right, none of the big guys have even played yet. Like this means nothing in two months or whenever the quote unquote real season starts for the big studs coming out. So it's, yeah, I agree. It's I always kind of look at that stat and I'm like, okay, you know, it's cool that Pat and Kazire is up there, but will this last come? You know, June or July? I, you know. Yeah, and I think that's like if you look at other telecasts, like why Tony Romo is a great example. Tony Romo is so good at football because he does his homework, and he you feel like you don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be critical, but it it needs somebody has to add something to the the conversation. I think one of golf's biggest problems is they don't they they try and appeal to this you know casual watch uh, you know viewer of golf like this casual viewer is probably going to like it more if he sits down and he's like, wow, you know, these guys, I don't really understand that much they're talking about, but I want to understand what they're talking about. If they just let these guys go a little bit deeper instead of us hearing, you know, Gary Woodland could dunk a basketball. Like anybody that's watched watched golf for, you know, more than 10 tournaments that Gary, and has seen Gary Woodland knows that already, you know? Well, or he could have been in the it, NBA, right? If he just would have taken a different path. Yeah, he could have been in the NBA right. after he was playing D2 basketball. Like, right, right. That's <laughs> the storyline. It happens all the time. Exactly. Uh, it's a pipeline for for the players but, at the highest level of coming out of those programs. But, you know, he's he, exactly but, like that's the storyline. I mean, but like, when, you're lo- watching, when you're watching Tony Romo, Romo's breaking down the play. He's like, I'm, I'm betting they're going to run this. And they're going to go to this guy, and sure enough, it happens, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Like I didn't. How does he? Like yeah, this is he's, incredible. He's good. You know, at it. he's good. But like, so from golf standpoint, we're. I feel like golf's always trying to appeal to this person that doesn't exist, like this casual fan. It's Thursday or Friday on Golf Channel, and it's you know the Bay Hill. Guess who's watching? It's like your diehards. So give them a product that reflect. Like, don't just give us the same stock stuff that you say every time that Ricky Fowler's on. You know, don't give us that same thing about, oh, Dustin Johnson, he's such a great athlete. Like, give us more, you know? Give us 
facts that you pick up. And, and if you're on tour at Stop to Stop, you should have a ton of information on these guys, right? Like have have a kind of a mission to say like our diehard fans are going to tune in and they're going to appreciate the game more because they tuned in. And I feel like the opposite almost happens now where when diehard fans tune in on weekends, they leave offended. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really interesting point. I think it, and I agree with you, right? Like, if I'm DVR in golf and watching it Thursday night after the kids are in bed or something, like, I would love to get into more of a deep dive of what's going on because the tournament's not on the line. But maybe having like a a, a Gankus or a really, I thought Casas did a good job of breaking swings down, but you know, break it down for me. Let me know what's going on. Why does this work? I think it'd be a very you know, that fan watching that coverage at that period of time, and like I said, I think is a totally different, not totally different, but it's, you love watching golf. If you're watching, like you said, uh, the first round of, unless it's a major, most any tournament, right? I think yes. if you're watching that Thursday coverage, you're not going to get all the stars in one field. So there's some guys mid-pack that might be in that afternoon run. But if I can maybe learn something or understand what that player is going through or looking at in a little deeper perspective, I think it'd be a better telecast. You know, like you said, teach me a little bit while I'm watching it. I'm exactly. And that's the thing I think that's most interesting about golf is that there's all these little pockets of golf, all these little interests, like whether it's, whether there's people that are super into gear, like you could do a breakdown of what these guys are playing. And, and I'm not, I'm not a gearhead, but I actually, like would be pretty interested because it would expand my knowledge base, right? And I would understand something more because I'm investing my time to watch this. Like, let me leave and take away something from it. So you have equipment that you can go into. You can talk about the golf swing. You can talk about the golf course. You can get into the human interests the, behind these players, like into stories that haven't been told about these players. They're, they're, in general, you know, Golf is always going to be a passionate niche audience, right? We are it, golf is not an audience like the NBA where you're drawing, you know, or the NFL where you're drawing millions of people from all over the globe. Like golf is a small, passionate audience, but like so play into that. Like we're niche, so we can do stuff. We, we know that we can go deeper than any other sport can into this athletes, right? Well, kind of yeah, I mean I I agree. I I I'm I love watching golf, and to be honest, like I'm getting bored of watching it a little bit. I'm so far this season. I don't know if it's just me or it's I don't know if I miss Costas on the weekends. I'm a, I love the golf swing, and I'm in the equipment business, so I love seeing why that swing works and whatnot. I don't know. I'm just I mean, maybe the play, you know, maybe the, any of the players or something like that to really get me going. But it's um, I, I don't know. I don't find it as interesting as I used to. And I don't know quite why. Maybe I miss Johnny Miller. I mean, I think Zinger's good, but I don't know. I'm. I, I, I hopefully I'll get more pumped up as the bigger events keep going. But I'm I'm struggling a little bit this year watching it. I'll watch it, but I'm not yearning for it. Um, so do like you? I, I'm just curious. Like, do you think it's because there's no break? Do you feel like you just have burnt out, or I'm, you know, lit- I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. At some point, right? Because it used to be. You know, back in the day, you had the end of the season, then a few silly season events, and then, like, you were excited to see that Hawaii Tournament of Champions come on. And, you mm-hmm. know, this, and it was like, okay, the season has started. And I think having that eight weeks off or so at least made me more excited. It's Because it, there's no off-season anymore. 
I mean, yeah. it's just, and then with the European tour playing later in the year, which are big events. So I'm watching that and it's just like, there's no break, you know, and then I'm geeked enough where I'll watch the events in Australia because I love the golf courses they play over there. So now I'm watching like Australasian tour stuff. So it might just be cumulative of just watching so much golf and then having the ability of these channels now to basically broadcast it that, you know, I, I find the events in, on the Australasian tour playing over there more interesting than the, um, was it the American Express now at some level? Uh, so maybe, I don't know if that's it too. Like maybe I enjoy watching some of those golf courses a little bit more. And so it, some, something that I've always found interesting is that, you know, like the PGA tour strives to almost have the same product week in, week out, right? So they try and, like, the setup is always going to be the same. Like, they, they have parameters that they want to keep the setup in. And and something I've always thought is, like, why why are you doing that? Like, different is, is key, like, right? So if, if, you, if you think about, like, nobody's trying to travel around the world and see all the, all the football stadiums. I mean, some people might be, but, like, the... You know, the interest in, in the tour is, like, who can play the best on in all these different conditions, elements, surf, grass surfaces, and everything. And I think each event, they should let it be different, you know? Give it, let it feel different week in, week out, because then it won't feel the same. It's not like Groundhog Day, right? And I think the PGA Tour, for the most part, once, you know, once you get out of Hawaii, and there's some, you know, Riviera in the West Coast, and, and some of those courses are, you know, quite distinctive, but the, the Florida runs... You know, I mean, I don't know how much the, the average viewer is going to know the difference between the Honda and the, you know, Arnold Palmer Invitational. I mean, the courses start looking pretty much the same. Yeah, um, there's water on the right yeah. and the house is on the left. Yeah, flipping around on the other hole, right? I mean, Orlando's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's water on every hole in a house. I mean, that's golf in Orlando. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's an interesting thing that you bring it up. I don't really know if it's just cumulative that there's no off season or. You know, I, I kind of miss Johnny Miller. I didn't think I would, but he was always at least interesting, and I thought he was pretty insightful. So I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I maybe I'm maybe I just need, like I said, a Players Championship, and I'll be back at it. I mean, I'm excited to see that one, but to be seen, I guess. Um, who knows? Um, you know, but it's still great. It's golf. I like watching it. But um, I think I, I think what it is, I, it's not. I think people get you know kind of misconstrue criticism is like you're the you're the person that tunes in every week you're you're the diehard and you i think i almost sense that like you there's it's you're just almost disappointed yeah like i just don't find myself right now at least glued to it like just glued to it like i normally am on a on a watching the final round on a sunday like i'm just not as glued to it where it's like Okay, you know, this guy's never won before. This guy's won nine times. This is going to be interesting. You know, there's five holes to go. What's going to happen? It's a, you know, an iconic type golf course. You know, it's at Riviera. I mean, I love the, the look of that course and haven't played it, but I've heard guys who have played it loved it. I mean, it, I love that, you know, style of golf more than some of the other PGA Tour courses. And yet I'm still not pumped up, you know, watching CBS cover that one. So I, I don't it's know. hard to get enough flow with the way. The, the, you got the CEO interview. It, it just, you don't, it's not like a, a other sports. I hate to keep bringing up other sports where like, you know, in between the commercials, all you're getting is action. 
Yeah. I think yeah. that's the problem. It's like, okay, I can deal with your commercials, but just give me action. Yeah, I, that might be it. Like I said, I, I'll have to like like not go kind of like one quarter brain dead and I'm watching and try to figure out like what am I missing from this? Like what 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 part of this am I – I still enjoy it. I, I'm just not – as, as quite engaged. in love with it. Yeah, there, there you go. That's a good way of talking about it. It's just I'm not as glued, but it's on. Yeah, that, I find myself getting distracted too. And like this is what I do for my my job. So it's, it's hard. I mean it's it's really when you sit down and, and there are moments where you get really frustrated. Well, I wonder if we're thinking like that. What's the average? I mean we're both in the business. What's the average person thinking watching it, right? I mean – I, you know, I'd have to imagine the numbers aren't terribly strong this year. If I was just betting, I don't know any of the statistics, but I'd wonder what the what the numbers look like for coverage and, and where it was at from say five years ago of how many yeah, people, I, how many eyeballs are on it. I've, I I know obviously it's up from when Tiger wasn't playing, but it's a, that's a I don't know even I've been I gotta go and try and find it, you know, because it, it, that's a, it's an interesting thing to look at and. And that's something you don't hear reported that much is is ratings, you know. Well, if you find it, uh, hit us I'll up. Send on it your way. But yeah, let us know. Hey everyone, it's Jason at the Sub Seventy Podcast. Uh, golf is in full season here in Northern Illinois, and that means you're probably playing where you're at as well. Perfect time of the year to uh, load up on golf gloves uh, to start off the season. Our Sub Seventy Pro Golf Glove is really, really an ultra soft, really supple leather glove. Uh, absolutely competes against the top products that are out there for a lot better price. Multiple sizes, $12.99 per glove on our website. You buy uh, five or more, $11.99 per glove. Every bit the performance that you would see in a $25 glove, half the price, hard to go wrong. Uh, They are available in stock. Check them out on the website at golfsub70.com. Any questions, just let us know. And uh, if you ever have any fitting needs or golf club needs as well, keep us in the loop. We're always glad to... to help you out with that hope you're enjoying the uh, conversation with andy and thanks again for all the support uh, i was going to bring this up as well uh, you know big thing this year and um we'll get into golf course architecture a little bit later but the, the usga distance report and, and, and we kind of all knew what it was going to sort of say at least i thought i had a pretty good idea but was there anything in that report that was a surprise to you um you know i was I've 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 been waiting for that report for a long time and I I guess I was I was just impressed. I thought it was really thorough and and I thought they took a stronger stance than I thought they would have to be honest. I I did not think they were going to come out as strong with the with their findings of that they didn't think that distance was, you know, increased continued increase in distance was good for the game. What would you do if you could if you could be Mike Davis for the day and run the whole thing? How would you fix the problem where you know these great golf courses don't have to add more yardage yet the 15 handicap who hits it you know 208 yards off the tee realistically if they averaged them all out you know doesn't get penalized or doesn't get even perceived per se to that golf is already harder where, you know, they're struggling to break 90, you know, how would you find that middle ground? And I'm guessing there's a middle ground there that you would try to solve the, the Rubik's cube if you could. 
you know, it's a really tricky situation, and I'm I'm happy I'm not one of the people that has to do it. I think I've always liked the idea of a classic course ball. Um, Jeff Shackelford made a great point about soft spikes, and soft spikes ha- started at at clubs where they didn't want the greens to be continue to be ripped up by metal spikes, so they started mandating soft spikes and then sure enough now everybody uses soft spikes right except for a few pros um and i think i think a classic course ball would be because the thing that i'm i miss is i just you just don't see guys have to hit take on i think sports is the the thing that is most captivating about sports is is the moments where people overcome adversity like Reggie Miller, nine points and or seven points and whatever, ten seconds. You know, like those are the moments that you, the Jordan flu game, when when you're up against the odds and you hit these you know great shots and golf is what you remember. Like I, I think the most memorable shot I I can think of in the last five years is that Brooks Kepka four iron laser at at Bell Reef. You know that was that was just an insanely great shot. And it, and you know it was so good because of how difficult it was. You know, you watch guys struggle on that hole all day long, and he just got up there with, you know, essentially the championship on the line, and just just hit probably the best shot he's hit hit all all week in the, in that tournament. And I think about it is that, you know, with it with the way it is, is it's just so it's such a proliferation of driver wedge out out on the PGA Tour that. It, you just and there's no way you can keep retain your classic courses that are filled with history without you know with it, you can't lengthen a lot of these places to a point where you could see guys hit long irons regularly i mean and i think that's that's the skill that used to really separate the good from the great you know you think about like jack hit towering long irons like tiger woods like he's won at bay hill so many times because you have to hit more long, long irons at Bay Hill than anywhere else. So you think about that skill is so muted on so many golf courses. Um, so I'd like to see that brought back. Um, I think the driver, I, and I'm curious your take as somebody in equipment business, because, you know, I, I, I'm obviously, I think the thing with this is that everybody's got a viewpoint and everybody's viewpoint's biased. And one of the things I think about with golf is for the most part, everybody's most concerned with like, how does this affect me? Um, versus, you know, the, the whole, you know, looking at the, the entire lens of the situation. I would say I, I'd like to see driver heads smaller for the best players. I don't, I think that you can just swing really hard at the ball without any fear of like that miss. I, I know you probably remember from when you were growing up playing, like standing on the first tee, just scared to death that you were going to hit just a rope hook, you know, scared and shitless I, under pressure. The snap hook that would literally be one millimeter away from a good swing is just left and out. And yes. it would come out of nowhere. And it's just, it, it was, yeah, exactly. And it, it would fly 120 yards and just, Dead it was, yeah, it's just the scariest shot in the world to, to have to think about. Um, and I think that's gone because of how big the driver is. You well, know? I don't hit those anymore. I used to, in, in you know, I'm, I played the small little, you know, 180cc drivers 30 years ago and, you know, 
with the even with a you know when the drivers got to 400 cc's i mean i can't remember the last time i hit a snap hook like i yeah. mean the old school snap hook right i mean just over and out ob three from the t snap hook it just doesn't happen like if if you think about dispersion the way i kind of feel with the driver especially is we still have that x axis dispersion so your right and left dispersion but what we've lost is the y axis the distance dispersion of a poor of a mishit yes. because mishits still it's a very tight it's you know you might be 20 yards short of a really good drive now but it in the, with the smaller head you had the opportunity to be 100 yards short yeah pop it up i mean it just took nothing right like like they said the, i always had the fear of this you were never totally comfortable with that old equipment if that makes sense, right? Even playing your best rounds, I still don't remember as being, even in my mid-40s now, as comfortable as I am kind of with it. Like, it's, I just don't yeah. have that, oh, my God, fear anymore with it. It's funny. I was I, I usually drive the ball really well, and I was struggling with my driver uh, this summer. And I put a, a persimmon in for a few rounds. You're a brave man. Well, and I what I I started driving it well with it because I had to really focus on hitting the sweet spot, right? Yeah. Like your 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 golf swing changes. It's not you know generating speed as much as it is. You're making sure you hit it solid, and then speed's almost a second. It's a secondary objective, right? If you're swinging really well, you feel like you can start to generate speed. And it was funny because then I put my modern driver back in. And it, it just helped me so much. And I that's the thing I think a lot about is that I sometimes I wonder how how if we went all if we went back to nineteen eighty five, let's just say as a placeholder, I don't I don't necessarily know how much worse the average golfer would get. How much worse would the average golfer get? Like you're talking seventeen, eighteen handicap. Yeah. I don't think it would be as much as the average person would think it would be. Driving would be a little bit tougher, right? I mean, the, those guys can still get it up in the air a little bit more. There's more options. There's better shaft options. There's more you can do. Beyond the driver, I don't think you would notice if you're a consistent 18, 20, 17 handicap. I could argue hybrids have helped that Hybrids are a big thing. Have helped that guy get that ball to the rough versus a four iron. But the overall question is, is the scoring any better? In other words, if the hybrid gets it up around the green, do they actually then get it up and down for the par or for the five versus the six or the seven, right? Does does that hybrid shot actually save them net stroke versus hacking it out and putting the nine iron on the fringe and making the double bogey? I, I don't think it would be as drastic as you would probably assume it would be for that player i think confidence wise it would hurt and like from an equipment manufacturing standpoint as long as they had a bifurcation of the rules i could make it work mm -hmm. right if i had to build a 380 cc driver under a new parameter for that top level amateur player or a pro player we could do it i mean it'd be quite easy you would just go back in time essentially and then you know play in that box but I think it would really hurt the equipment business if they made every player try to go back to that, even from a perception standpoint. Even if their scores didn't get worse, the reality is their thought process is going to be, golf is hard enough for me, and now I've you know, got the smaller head and there's no way it can be as good. Is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? 
So something I think too with the the smaller head drivers, like I watch a lot of my buddies who are very casual golfers. A lot of them are beginners, and some of them hit it really far. But the, what kills them with the minor driver is the the misses go so far offline. Yeah. Like, I mean, and I think that the misses almost wouldn't be as bad with with the with the small headed driver. It would get down quicker. Yes. Right. That's exactly. It would get down quicker. Oh yeah. I mean, now imagine if you got a good athlete who swings hard and he misses it, and they don't slice anymore. But imagine that guy who hits that hard push. Right. They don't slice yes. like they used to, and that thing's just gone. It's like it's eighty it. yards right, and it's just so far. Yeah. You know. So, and that's the, and that would be my. And I haven't really thought about this, but that would be the reason why I don't think the scores. It would be nuanced stuff like that that the that maybe people don't think about that that OB ball is now inbounds. So then the question is, but he's got to hit a foreign if he took the old school equipment, right? Is the net score still sort of the same when you balance it all out? And it's sort of, if you look at that USGA report for higher handicap golfers, it kind of, you know, the handicaps, at least at our club, at Kishwaukee Country Club and DeKalb, like thinking about the guys who are 15s and 16s, and gosh, they were 15s and 16s 15 years ago. Yeah. They haven't gotten any better. No, no, no. I mean, I don't think their overall scores have gotten any better. That would be a really interesting, it would be a very interesting uh, experiment, but I still think it would it would hurt the psyche. I think there would be a lot to it of, you know, if I don't have the most modern ball or the modern equipment, I'm not going to play as well, would be the overall perception. I think that's where the equipment companies, if they change the rules for everybody, uh, I'm not a ball manufacturer, so I don't have to worry about that side of it. But if I was a ball manufacturer, that would be tough too because what do you do? Put How much millions and millions of dollars would you put in R&D for a ball that 99.8% of the people aren't going to buy? And then how do you then take your tour presence and say to the, the average 10 handicap, our, our ball on tour is, yeah, it's – not as good as the one you're playing, but you should still play our ball, right? Like that's a hard story to sell. Uh, that yeah. would be an interesting conundrum for the manufacturers from that standpoint. It, just in general, I think we're in this weird situation because if you're on the side of like, hey, you know, this rollback shouldn't happen, you shouldn't protect the great golf courses. My kind of response is then why don't why do we have equipment regulations at all? Why don't we just allow? equipment manufacturers to design stuff that goes 500 600 yards like if that's the most if driving if if driving distance is so important and that's why everybody comes out to play golf why don't we just let it let the equipment manufacturers go crazy well, yeah because there's a regulation in place now right when we design yes. a driver especially we're, we're playing inside of a box as it is now and that box is getting pretty limited yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, the differences that come out between all of our drivers is if you, you know, you'd have to be, it's, it's starting to become a very, everyone makes great equipment. They really do. There's just not much variation between them based on the box we all have to play in. Yeah. And that's probably so, okay at this point, right? I don't, I don't have any arguments should go kind of beyond where it is. Well, that, well, that's the point. But if, 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 cause if the, if the, the kind of argument against rolling back is that we can't have people lose their equipment that helps them play and golf's too hard. And, you know, there's then why don't we just let them get even better? 
and I, yeah, you're exactly right because then you th- if you think the PGA Tour now, and especially at the elite level, I still think you could give because we could all make drivers that go well beyond the CT exactly and do stuff that, than the current market is uh, USGA is allowing us to. I don't think the average 15 handicap would get nearly as much out of it as a touring professional. It's sort of like the technology now, right? That technology mm-hmm. in the faces of those drivers or the characteristics of the golf ball for the average 15 handicap, they don't get nearly out of that versus a, a top-level amateur player or a top-level, you know, or a professional golfer. So even if you gave the amateurs that stuff, they might be, you know, 10 yards longer, but they're not going to hit it 50 yards longer, where a touring pro could literally hit it. Oh man, you could design something. They would be they would be averaging over three hundred and fifty yards with Yeah. Pretty easily. Pretty yeah. easily. So no, it's uh I don't want to see I don't think you know, I don't think golf's at the highest level is pitch and putt for the most part now. I mean look what they did at Medina last year and you know, I don't think anyone wants to see more of that. I, I would be fine with the biification. I don't know you'd probably have to do it with a ball, but I think it would be like the coolest thing ever if you could have Chicago Golf Club host a men's U.S. Open again. Yeah. Right? Like, how great would that be to see, you know, those guys hitting five irons into some of those greens? Like, I okay, now I'm excited to watch golf coverage. I mean, how, cool, li- how yeah. cool would it be if you could just go play a 5,800-yard course because, like, you had a ball that it wasn't just driver wedge, like, and, and that was, like, and you went out there and you hit all the clubs in your bag like you would at, at a, you know, if you're, say you're, Say you're a scratch player, like right now, you probably need to play about 7,200 yards to really hit all the shots. And imagine if you could do that at 5,900. Like, I, I posted a poll. I never wrote anything. I meant to write something. I posted a poll like, hey, what are golf's two biggest problems? And I, I think I put I put cost, pay, time it takes to play, um, how hard it is or other. And, like, cost and time of play – blew away everything else. I think they had in the 40s of the two percentages. So, you know, of the four things, they were taking up over 80% of, of the answers. And to me, all right, so so cost and time are our two biggest things. Like everything that goes towards that bottom dollar of golf revolves around like the golf course and how much it costs to maintain for the most part, like your regular daily fee municipal golf course. So if you... If the ball and equipment went shorter, the golf course would have less grass, less maintained area, and you'd play faster because courses would be shorter. But then if you asked the same survey and said, would you be okay with rolling back my equipment in order to kind of get to where you're going so we could play exactly. a 5,800-yard golf course, what do you think the response would be? It would be vehemently against oh, it, but ex- if you – so like. Right, Aiken Golf Club in, is an unbelievable golf course in Georgia. Uh, it's in it's in South Carolina, just a, right across the river from Augusta. Yeah, and it's fifty eight hundred yards. It's got like it's on this amazing topography. It's it's great for anybody to play. You're going to have an awesome time. But the pace, the average pace of play out there is like three fifteen, three thirty for regulars. Beautiful. Beautiful, and because it's only fifty eight hundred yards, you know, it's like seven thousand yards. Takes a really long time to play golf on a seven thousand yard golf course because it's seven thousand yards versus fifty eight hundred. Oh, you're preaching to the choir on it. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than the five hour and thirty. I mean, I won't do it. I just won't yeah. do it. Right? Like, I want to play nine holes in an hour, and let's let's get moving. Right? And in our home course, um, I mean, there's issues at Kish. I'd like to you know take out about eight eight hundred trees, but um, 
you know, it's 6,400 yards from the tip, 6,200 from the, from the whites. You can get around it pretty quick. It, it's, you know, it's not a beast and it, you can play nine holes pretty quick because it's old school. And yeah, when you get some really big boy golf courses, there's no question the time goes up. The difficulty goes up for the 15 handicap. And next thing you know, you know, you're out there for five hours and people just don't have the time. And or or if it's a place like Kishwaukee that had the room to expand, it, what you're doing is you're walking from the green way back to tees. Right. You're walking 100 yards back to the tee and then 100 yards back past the green again. Where Kish works in the sense that the green complex, of course, to the next tee box, all things speaking, are very, very close to each other. So you can kind of just move and go. It, you know, it's old. It's kind of how mm-hmm. they built them back then. So, 